Recur is a world-class NFT platform working with game creators looking to build with NFTs. Don't go through the time, hassle, cost, and risk of building your own tech. Recur provides an institutional-grade secure platform for creators and an easy-to-use experience for users. Recur's one-of-a-kind metagaming service allows game creators to make compelling collecting games with NFTs that drive game economies. If you are a mid- to large-sized developer or publisher looking to enter the world of Web3, contact Recur at RecurForever.com to become a platform partner. GM friends, hello and welcome to another episode of the Tokenomics podcast. We've got a super exciting podcast today all about Armored Kingdom, the uh, new Web3 transmedia property uh, from Mila Kunis's production company, Orchard Farm Productions. So uh, this is uh, kind of the most high-powered Tokenomics, the first time we're really reaching way outside our comfort zone of fellow game development nerds. Although I, I do know that we've got fellow nerds and gamers uh, uh, on the other end. Uh, I am, of course, uh, Ethan Levy, your host today. Um, why doesn't everyone take a, a turn introducing themselves and talking a little bit about their background in media creation? Um, I'm Lisa Sturbikov. I am Mila Kunis's production partner on Orchard Farm Productions. We have been uh, making traditional film and television together for seven, eight years. Um, last year, just about a year ago, we um, launched our first uh, Web3 project with Stoner Cats, um, followed up kind of briefly after that, quickly after that with The Gimmicks, and now kind of coming into number three with, um, with Armored Kingdom. But we are, um, the second we did Stoner Cats and we realized like what kind of untapped potential there was here, we just became total um, excited DJs and we're, we're just, we're, we're here, we're in it for it. Right. You're like upcoming exclusive Netflix movie. That's old news for us. Now. Well, we, yeah, now we do have a all... movie coming out this year on Netflix <laughs> called Luckiest Girl Alive. You guys check it out. We're incredibly, incredibly proud of it. And it was one of those experiences, I will say, um, on to for on Netflix's behalf where we got to make the, the movie we wanted to make. Um, and they, they really supported artists in a beautiful way, which isn't always the case. And they were fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, between movie, TV, animation, now game development, comics, Web3, Orchard Farm's kind of doing it all. Uh, Hugh and Brian, would you each introduce yourselves, please? Uh, I'm Hugh Sturbikov. I, uh, I've had a very long career in writing. I started way back as a uh, game journalist. I wrote for GamePro Magazine. I, I interviewed some of the people oh, wow. who probably listened to the podcast. Um, if if I knew that, I have some issues of GamePro around in the house. I found fat. them while I was moving recently. I was Boba Fett really? and Django fat. fat. Yeah, so I'm sure <laughs> if you've got some GamePros, I almost certainly wrote in them. I wrote in them for over five years. Uh, it was a great little wow. career as I was starting my screenwriting career. Um, I've written film, television, uh, comic books, um, a couple Emmy nominations for Robot Chicken. I used to buy the toys for Robot Chicken. I've written live wow, that's a dream job it was right the, there. It was the best job in Hollywood. Truly the best job in Hollywood. Um, uh, can, I t can I pause a little well, bit on uh, Robot Chicken? Because I loved Robot Chicken. I was in uh, senior in college when it came out, and we were all such 
fans that at like when it came out when I had a party after the second episode I showed it to everyone because it was still so hilarious to me it was like Robot Chicken and Chappelle Show both came out kind of at the same time and were those things we just had to share with our friends because they were so funny and so for us yeah I'm just uh really uh excited you're here yeah thank you thanks for having me and uh uh Brian how about you I'm also a, a writer. I've been working in uh, television and animation and features. Um, I'm queued in mostly in the family and holiday space. Uh, I've also known Hugh for 30 years. Uh, we went to college together. And I'm a long-term gamer who lost years to EverQuest and more years to World of Warcraft and then more years to World of Warcraft again later when I went back on. And, <laughs> So I've been Dungeons and Dragons since I was second grade, so I'm I'm deep into the fantasy gameplay genre. I All of us, including Mila, actually are recovering World of Warcraft addicts. Like I mean problematic. Like call a psychologist, don't just like <laughs> uninstall World of Warcraft addicts. Yeah, I actually, uh, Lisa, can I, I ask you, uh, you and Mila played WoW together, right? We, we, all of us played WoW all together. Yeah, yeah we Got had a, we had a, we had our own, it was called Fatties. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was our guild. And, um, and we all, you know, we were always in the Fatties chat all the time. We did five man raids, a lot of five man. <laughs> And, um, With Mila and a couple other celebrities. Guys, yeah, it was... this is this is my first ever stars. They're just like you moment. Oh no, stars. They're just like you. They're in WoW raids and chatting with their friends on Discord all the time. You haven't and, played and WoW until you're 20 minutes into the Black Morass, and Mila just randomly announces that she has to go to the bathroom, and leaves <laughs> leaves four other players, and she's our main DPS, just wanders away. And we're literally sitting there like, did, did she really just leave? Did she just leave? Um. Watching our yes, <laughs> And she's screaming from the bathroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> that, that's when you know you played Warcraft. And I mean, we also like, we, we, we did it as full land parties. So everyone would come to our apartment because oh. we had the best internet. Um, even though we didn't have the best house, we just had the best internet. Right. And we were just, I mean, like the number, like coax running through the house as we all just played together it was so much fun and then we had children and like yeah the fun i'm familiar yeah <laughs> uh, there was one night we we're playing this is not a full raid or anything we just had a simple party going and it was a couple of celebrities mila was among them but none of them are using their obviously you're not playing with your real name but someone joined yeah. our party and i don't remember the name but i'm gonna say the character's name was chuck norris they <laughs> named a celebrity name when they do it, Justin Timberlake, something like that. I don't remember what it was. Right. I'm just like, oh my God, are you actually Chuck Norris? The person's like, no. And I'm like, that's so weird though, because you could totally be in a party with a bunch of celebrities you would never know. <laughs> and everyone's cracking up and this, you know, some random, you know, teen from Illinois is, is in this right. group with A-list celebrities doesn't know. That's amazing. Do you have, there There are a number of uh, Blizzard uh, employees who listen, ex-EverQuest, ex-Warcraft people, any messages for the game development community? Any uh, requests or anything other than obviously all your life energy back? Yeah, it's like, thank you. And also fuck off. Like that's that's what I, that's what I mean. Thank you for the years and um, hours and like, I mean, and still, but also, right. oh, that was hard. Yeah, there yeah. were, there were days where I would clock a 16-hour day. 
Oh my goodness. You know, uh, being a scr- I should switch careers to screenwriting. I haven't played 16 hours of video games in a month. Oh man. Well, that- <laughs> become a screenwriter, you'll have a lot of free time. <laughs> That, that is, I will say that is one of the things about screenwriting is like when you're working, especially if you're staffed, you're working like crazy hours. And when you're not, you're just not. So um, mm. these guys get, um, they get free time that I don't get, frankly, but they, they do get a lot more free time. Hey, my it. first three Christmas movies were all made while I was gaming, while I was playing Warcraft. Yeah. So. That's great. That uh, that that explains uh, the uh, the goblin subplot and spookily the Christmas pumpkin that right. I uh, saw with my kids. <laughs> All right, uh, spookily there there's this uh, my kids uh, delve into the depths of ha- horrible family entertainment on on uh, on Netflix and they love spookily the oh this uh, looks terrible cri- yeah it's I mean it's pretty bad um, okay great All right so. Let's let's uh, start here. Uh, what is Orchard Farms, Orchard Farm, and how did the company initially get involved in Web three? So Orchard Farm is the company. It is me and Mila and um, our other partner, Cami Curtis, who is not on the Web three side. Um, we started the company in oh gosh, twenty fifteen. Um, that's right. Yep. But no, twenty fourteen. Um, where Mila was, um, she was pregnant. She tells a story. She was she was pregnant with her first kid. And was like, I'm going to be a lady of leisure. And after like a month and a half, she was like, this is, I can't do it. I can't, I need to be productive. I have to do stuff. Yeah. And she, um, as she says, she can't write. She can't, you know, she's not, she doesn't, she's not really looking to direct at this point, but she knows what a good producer is because she's worked with good and she's worked with bad. And she's read hours and hours and done out, I mean, hundreds and thousands of hours of television and film. Um, and she thought, you know what, I can really, I really can produce. Um, and she called Cami, who was her longtime manager. She called me and I had a different career and she was like, quit that great career and come and do this thing with, uh, with us. Um, and I was like, that's a terrible idea, but let's give it a shot. And <laughs> This uh, is a horrible idea. This is I a horrible idea. Let's, well, let's... I mean, that's the, you're going to see a theme here where we have terrible <laughs> ideas and we're like, let's fucking do it anyway. I want to become a successful um, producer. Let me <laughs> recruit my wow guildmate. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, we you know that that is how the majority of video game companies are founded, actually. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, we, you know, in our first year, we sold six shows, which was um, insane. That's a huge, huge amount of shows in one in one season um, with just kind of by like the seat of our pants and just trying to figure it all out. Right. Learned a lot, you know, moved our way through. And, and then, you know, we've been we've had kind of similar success throughout, but we've also run up against all of the frustrations that you run up against in film and television. Um, the, the, the idea that it's not, it is not the best script that wins. It is not the best idea that wins. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of other things, a lot of its timing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, you can, we can develop things that we love with partners that we love and we believe in their, their story and we believe in their idea. But the power isn't in the hands of the artist. The power is in the hands of a studio or a network. And right. so when we when we had Stoner Cats, um, we had it traditionally. Um, it came to us as just like a regular TV show. We added Jane Fonda to it, which was like it's so amazing. Brilliant! Like I'm gonna do. Uh, yeah, Cats. add Jane Fonda to anything. That's oh, and she, I would add Jane Fonda to any game I'm making. That she's so cool. It's. It's amazing. I feel like I have to like pinch myself, sort of like, oh my god, Jane Fonda's doing her thing. Um, we took it out with Jane Fonda traditionally, and the combination of it's starring an eighty-something-year-old woman who is not necessarily a demographic that people are looking for, and there's 
anthropomorphized animals, and there's weed content. So the weed content is. This sounds like every every Adult Swim show I watch. It does, but can I tell you something? (laughs) Adult Swim says no hard hard pass on weed content, and we were like, "Sorry, you're Adult Swim. What do you mean hard pass on weed content?" Okay. So that, that became like the, 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 the industry. They're like talking problem. French fries. Yes. But yes. if the talking French fries imbibe marijuana. Explicitly, uh, explicitly right. imbibe marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. So we obviously had an explicit, you know, marijuana content in, in our thing. Right. Although the marijuana is really just, it's just like the, the it's, it's the magic the pill. Hook. It's not really. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's not really about that. But we also, what we loved about the show is that as much as it is silly and funny, it's also uh, has deep heart. Mrs. Um, Stoner has Alzheimer's. And when these cats become aware, they do everything they can to save her and to, to, to be her family. And that's really like, like an amazing process. But we couldn't get, we couldn't get any traction. And mm-hmm. the traction we did get was so, so low pay that it wasn't worth it for anybody on the team. Right. And Mila had the idea, Ash, Sarah, and Chris, the creators, they're incredible creators and also incredible animators of their own right. And um, they could make the show. And so we were like, okay, we can make the show. Now, what do we do with it? How do we get it to an audience? How Mm -hmm. do we do something a little bit noisy? And it was Mila's idea that we do it as a, and attached to an NFT. And um, we put together an incredible team with um, Morgan Beller from NFX and Mario Bajwa, who works with Ashton at Sound. Um, and then brought in Big Head Club to, to kind of do our contract in our, our, um, in our community and learned a ton along the way. Made a lot of good assumptions, made some bad assumptions, and, but we managed to, to, to do a thing that nobody had really done yet. And that was super exciting. And then it became sort of the, the, the starting gun as we ran into this space and, and of huge amounts of learning. Got it. I, um, you know, you, Y'all won't know this about me, but my core background skill set is like as a monetization designer. So a big part of what attracts me about Web3 for gaming is new business models and the ability of new business models to free and empower creators. And so just as a um, as a comparison, if you had taken if you had gotten an order for a pilot for stoner cats, right? That's kind of the equivalent of, of building a uh, vertical slice in game development. If you'd gotten an order for a pilot uh, for that show, roughly how much money do you think you would have gotten from a um, one of the uh, key uh, gate, gatekeepers in order to make that? I can tell you the offer we had on the, the actual offer we had on the table, which was to make it as shorts. So like, mm-hmm. like you know, extrapolate that out five minute shorts, they were going to pay the team mm-hmm. $5,000. $5,000 total. There are six people on this team. Yeah, so. $5,000. And it. we were like, no. Now, like, if you look at, at, you know, like a typical fee on like a 30 minute, here's the thing, the animation, animation is not covered under most circumstances under the writer's guilt. So the writers actually mm-hmm. don't get paid a huge amount. And mm-hmm. producers also like there's just not as much money, particularly in adult animation, as as unless you're unless you're on Fox, they absolutely are SAG or are um, writers guild signatories. But the other ones, they're not, and they 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 the pay is not huge. Like the if they actually just to write the script, producers don't get paid when you write a script at all. So we would have gotten right. nothing. The yeah. writers would have gotten a, an amount, um, not a huge amount, several thousand, you know, a few maybe you know twenty thirty thousand yeah. dollars to write that script. Um, 
And then when, if they picked up and actually started making, they don't usually make just animated pilots, they make animated series. If you'd made a season, yeah. Yeah, then you know, you get a, a fee, but it's not as much money as people right. might think. What do you think the, the roughly the budget for a season of Stoner Cats would have been through the traditional system? I mean, we, it would have been pro, uh, 20, 30 million. 20, 30 million, got it. And, but with that, you would have lost control Oh, entirely um, completely and, and that money that that's budget that goes to production i mean which by the right. way is like you know um but we would have we even in selling and writing the pilot if they commission a pilot then the studio then really owns that for right. a, a huge period of time and if not kind of in perpetuity and they additionally take all of any any, any sort of like ancillary um if, if there is ancillary content that's made, the studio yeah. owns that. If there are, if there's merchandise that's made, the studio owns that. All, all of the ownership immediately then goes, transfers to the studio. If you have enough power, you can get a piece of that. And if you don't, you don't get a piece Got of it. that. And, and the reason I wanted to dig in is by comparison, when you did your initial minting on Stoner Cats, how much did you raise in that first mint? We made 8.2 million. We sent wow. back um we we sent back 700 and some thousand um because we had the we had a gas problem okay and so people had a lot of failed mints and it was total was about seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars we took that and and made the people who had failed failed mints whole because it just was the right thing to do that's great so that's uh when, when i talk about the business model like there's even though the total isn't as high as if you'd been I mean, one, it's, it's, I assume, incredibly rare to actually get to that full season order and get to that big budget. But not only did you raise $8 million directly from fans and kind of people who believed in the project, but you have complete ownership of the IP and where you take it from now on. I think, I think the biggest part is complete creative control. Yeah. You know, we had already made the, the it was we, we had made we had we had already written the entire outline for the season. We had already made the first episode. We already knew where the rest of the episodes were going. We like we 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 had put a lot into it. So it was a lot of just kind of recouping our own sort mm -hmm. of output that we that we had put out. Um, also, you know, we had partners who we had, you know, high level partners on this in terms of our actors as well. So it there was a lot of kind of early talk about like it's such a celebrity cash grab it is not this has been right. a labor of love and not a labor of of finance at all it's right. just if it was a, if it was a cash grab you wouldn't have felt compelled to make make expensive animation to nearly a million dollars right? yeah of gas yeah. reimbursement so it's absolutely been a layer like a, a, a labor of, of love and the best part of it is that the show that's coming out and and I, I, I want, I'm so proud of it and I hope people really get to see it. The show as it's coming out and as it gets put together and we're just about to put, we've, we, we have actually made a cut that puts all the episodes together, which is really how they should be watched is in one big like kind of movie like chunk. So mm -hmm. as we're putting those together, it, um, it is exactly representative of what Ash, Sarah and Chris wanted it to be. It didn't have, you know, there was incredible feedback and incredible help from a community that like loved it and we got to hear what they liked and we hear what they didn't like, but we didn't have the noise of a studio that we would normally have. Um, so it is something that is, as an artist, really exciting. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And um, 
Stoner Cats was was released on Ethereum. Uh, Orchard Farm followed it up with The Gimmicks, which was another Web3 tune, uh, this one on Solana. I'm curious uh, what led to um, choosing Solana for that second project. Remember that $700,000 we paid back? (laughs) Right. Yeah. So as as we realized, as we started talking to our, our Stoner Cats community, we found that there were a lot of people where Stoner Cats was their first NFT. This was mm-hmm. the thing that made them go, oh, maybe I actually do want to participate in this space. I hadn't seen, hadn't seen a use case that was compelling and this feels like a compelling use yeah. case. So we, in the idea of, again, bringing in more people, talking about like being able to, you know, own this like a great digital asset, that, that was super exciting, but we've wanted to bring people in. We knew we wanted to do a lot of on-chain actions with the gimmicks. We wanted to right. do on-chain voting. We wanted to have our ridiculous on-chain token that we had. We wanted to do a bunch of, which is by the way, a social token. It's not a, it's not like a currency token. So we wanted to do some really fun stuff on chain. Gas was going to be a killer. Because yeah. even, you know, nobody wants to buy a, like a $20 thing and have it cost another $45 in gas. It just doesn't right. make any sense. So we, we, were, we looked at a lot of chains and we were looking at what was easy to use for a new person and what, and what had low gas. And that was like the gas part of it was really, really great. And then we had to get like most people who are in the gimmicks, they'd never had a Solana NFT before. Right. So we had a huge- Go through it out. again, get Phantom mm-hmm. Wallet. Yep, and yeah. all of that process. And in learning what we learned from Stoner Cats and in watching people get botted since then, like so after Stoner Cats, the bot situation is becoming worse and worse and worse. Yeah. We purposely made the gimmicks the slowest mint of all time. It was the nightmare four days of my life trying to make sure <laughs> that 10,000 tokens got into human beings. Right. We did them for free too. So like we really wanted people coming in and participating and playing and pretend like right. having fun with us, experimenting with us. But that meant that we needed people to have it, not just a bunch of wallets that right. in their dormant. We wanted human beings to come in and participate. So that meant we were doing full allow list day after day after day, wallet collection day after day after day to make sure that real people got it um, in their hands. And, and I feel like we really were successful. We have a small, mighty, excited community who has now engaged on chain over 700,000 times with between voting and our social token um, since, since we launched um, a few months ago. That's great. What, um, ha- having gone through those two minting experiences on two different chains, these are exactly the same sorts of experiences Web3 developers are having right now, even, even if it's games and not uh, animation yep. and, and pure NFTs. Like, what are some of the key things you took away or key learnings you had in mind as you went on to approach this third Web3 project, which is Armored Kingdom? Yeah, again, we, we really see, and this is the way that we talk about this all the time, was we, we actually don't love the idea, like, we, don't, we don't feel that NFT as speculative asset is the use. What we feel like is NFT as, as a piece of digital ownership is the use. So it's actually consumptive use as an NFT. So, so with the gimmicks, you can write a character, you get to own this little thing, you get to be part of this community, you get to vote. Like it's a use piece. Mm-hmm. And so for Armored Kingdom, the NFTs, the game piece NFTs will be game pieces for our game. So that just seems to make absolute sense. It's just a way to own something digitally. So in order to get normal people out to come in and come and play, play in this way and see the benefit, because we actually really do see there is a benefit, you have to make it 
low friction. And so yeah. when we started looking at chains for, um, for Armored Kingdom, again, gas was a huge thing. It had to yeah. be, it ha that, that, that could not be an issue. It couldn't cost more than just a few cents to, for people to, to be able to mint. And then it had to be green. That was important to us um, that, you know, there are real legitimate concerns on the electricity use on chain. Yeah. Um, and so then chain thirdly, that, that lived out your values as a company. Yeah, that, that's right, that's right. And then the other thing that we really liked, like when we were talking to all of them, is this kind of near wallet experience where you can use your email, you can, like a normal person who's never experienced crypto at all can come in and mint an Arbor Kingdom comic, mint an Arbor, and you know, when we get to mint, like minting packs, not feel like they're actually even engaging in cryptocurrency. And right. hopefully at some point, it's like really not engaging at all in cryptocurrency really being able to buy it totally fiat as opposed to like fiat to crypto to, th you know, just yeah. like full fiat and be able to buy a digital asset with just whatever their, their, you know, local currency is. That's, that's the goal is yeah, that this so doesn't feel like a web three project product. It feels like a web two product with the benefits of web three behind it. Got it. So yeah, it sounds like, um, environmental impact, ease of use, low friction, mm -hmm. low gas. These were all the considerations and, and that yep. led to you guys choosing the near protocol yep. as your, uh, as armored kingdom. Right. Um, so how did these experiences with stoner cats and the gimmicks lead to you guys wanting to say like, well, we've, <laughs> we've made TV, we've made movies, we've made animation, and now we've made web three products. Let's make our lives really easy and make a video game that's a comic, that's a blockchain ecosystem and a show, right? <laughs> like, well, because we're insane. Once again, terrible ideas, let's fucking do it. So that's, that's where we, that's our sweet spot. Right. Um, and and I'll, I'll pass on to Hugh in a second for like where, where the idea for Armored Kingdom, the, the IP came from. But I will say we have just like, we have talked about games nonstop for years. What could we build? What could we do? How could, like we are like avid real gamers and we are also avid storytellers. And we yeah. don't think that people like, there are very few IPs that have really hit that. It's, it's, um, it's funny. I was actually talking to somebody yesterday who had said, you know, Magic the Gathering is a game without a really an IP and uh, like poke and like other kinds of games, you know, like Pokemon is an IP that has a game, but it's not like the game is only okay. Magic the Gathering is an incredible game, but like they've never been able to really explore that IP in interesting and exciting ways in terms right. of like narrative I, content. I, I can tell you uh, embarrassingly that I uh, once upon a time read the Magic the Gathering novelizations and I do not remember m much about them other than them being very silly. Yeah. Yes. Like, and then he played a black land and then yeah. it was so-and-so's turn. Right, he, he reached deep into his pouch and felt the aura of the land and summoned a juggernaut and i like even though i was 12 i was like i love this and this is stupid i remember both those thoughts at the same time and we've had some friends who have been on multiple iterations of making the tv show of trying to make a tv show and right. uh, it just it, it just has not come together and yeah it just seems like if you can design those things together if you can design i mean obviously comics and animation tie together easily like everybody sort of knows that it's it's really kind of a seamless mm -hmm. a, a way to, to do that but he would actually come up with this idea how many years ago he like many years ago, years ago as a toy product 
Yeah, go, go ahead, Hugh. You can explain how, where it came from. Well, you know, I described my background, and uh, in addition to all of that, I co-hosted the Activision podcast for a while, and so I was watching oh, wow. Skylanders take off. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, I thought I could do it better. You know, um, I thought that I, I knew how to engross players of all ages, but particularly young kids who were into Skylanders in a, in a more effective way. There was, given my background, I wanted it to be story driven. I wanted it to be character driven. And like Magic the Gathering, Skylanders were clearly designed around the toys first, you know, and plugged yeah. into this. What I wanted to do is story driven, character driven story. How about that? Um, being able to integrate between video games, action figures, you know, robot chicken, all my background, I wanted to combine it all into one thing. Um, and when we brought it out there, the idea would be that characters would uh, use this armor that was designed with magnets that could affix to any kind of any size body. And so I got a lot of pushback with the action figures saying that the magnets were too expensive. And I was like, these mm. people aren't having vision. This, you know, the, So when Lisa started this company and I started to look at what this technology can do, um, I brought her this intellectual property. Um, but again, it wasn't designed around the technology. It was, hey, here's characters first. Here's a story world first. And let's take the best of what this new technology can do to drive this story even further and to integrate it into all of these wonderful things. So we have the benefit of having a story first, you know, characters, a plot, all of that kind of stuff. And we're able to build all these other worlds out from that rather than retroactively generating a story around technology or a product or, you know, what have you. So that's been fun because when we need it, it's there for the taking instead of racking our brains on how to, you know, thread a, a really small needle and create a story around something that a game, for example, can do. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I'll say, you know, Hugh, by the way, we're married. I'm, I'm sure everybody can figure that out. Um, Hugh, really weird coincidence. I can figure that out by how you're not in the same room for this interview. If you want me to just bang on my floor, you'll hear about his head. I'm literally sitting directly over him. Um, but he, um, he's an avid collector. So he understands, which by the way, this is a nightmare, but it, he yeah. understands a collector's um, mindset. And so when he was developing Armored Kingdom, like into the sort of toy space, all he was thinking about is that collector mindset. Yeah. And this really feels like, I mean, the same way we, by the way, we've got thousands of magic cards laying around this house. We've got, you know, thousands of comic books everywhere in this house. Like all of these things are kind of tying together as one. It, it just, it, it feels to us. And then, and then as much as like we, all we want to do is make like, we love making narrative content and we love telling stories, but we really do feel like a, a television show is, the absolute best advertisement for a game that you could ever have. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Hollywood knows well, games make a lot more money than movies and TV do. So we, that, that's really kind of the way that we think about that. And then, and then we brought Brian in. I don't know if you, Hugh, do you want to talk about how, how Brian came in and started working through what, what, what the game sort of situation would look like? Obviously, if you've got this armor build mechanism that these toys were built around, as, as we've discussed, massive World of Warcraft players, we know that that kind of armor build could work so well in terms of gameplay. And right. so that's where Brian came you in. You have the firsthand experience of, of going on that intense raid, trying to get that legendary loot, and then the famous person goes to the bathroom and your, your DPS <laughs> goes down and you can't, you can't get that loot. 
and that inspired you yeah. <laughs> to make your own game. I mean, that's really it. That's really it. I if we there was some like there's some that story that Vitaly like, like it needs to be playable on the phone so that this never happens again. No, I can tell you exactly what inspired us. Um, when Burning Crusade came out, yeah, we were out at midnight with Mila outside a game store in whatever the cold, um, waiting for them to to release the you know the the twelve oh one copies of the game. Right across right. the street from the Robot Chicken Studios, actually. We all got online with our characters. That at this point, this is sort of the first big expansion, right? So we had been playing through the this the existing world, Q and I were beta players. Like mm-hmm. we had been playing this world for a long time. And so we all had like our perfectly built sets, our perfect, you know, tier gear, you know, the best weapons you could have, everything. We, you know, we get our group, we march through the, the, the portal and, you know, we're, we're heading towards the, you know, sort of the first camp there is. And there's, you know, you know, sort of random spawn mobs and we kill whatever the first mob was, the green, you know, nothing mob. And mm-hmm. go to loot it, and it has a green item that has stats that are better than my tier combined shit that I spent right. grinding through, you know, uh, a castle multiple, multiple, multiple times, going through school, my 20, 30 times to get my hat, that sort of thing. Yeah, I had a full and, tier two from Blackwing Lair, you know, the full, yeah, full, yeah, just with anathema. Mark. I was a priest, I had the anathema yeah. staff. And then you wander in the Burning Crusade, and green gear is beating what you've got. You get a piece of trash. Yeah, yeah, right. God damn it. Yeah, so that that to me really crystallized the. So, so what do you do? Like, I had the 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 two daggers. I've forgotten the names of the daggers, but they're Mm -hmm. the most epic daggers before the Crusade came out. You just put them in the bank. You're never going to use them again because this one one damage more than that one. So these are useless. Yeah, you know, even though you tried really hard to get them, so that really got me focused on this idea of I hate disposable loot. I hate that you grind and and get this stuff, and at the end of the day, one of two things happens: either you get something better and just throw it away, or you get to a point where literally everyone on the server is dressed exactly like you. Yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a gnome rogue, and I'm standing next to another gnome rogue, and I'm standing next to another gnome rogue, and we've picked different hair colors, but we're wearing the exact same armor, wielding the exact same weapon. Because if we don't have exactly that, then we're not tiered up correctly for the raid, and we're useless. So, you know, I wanted a game where you can advance your equipment, where where you know your sword has a story that you put time into the sword, you're making the sword more valuable that way. Um, and I also wanted to, wanted it to be like, I'm focused on becoming like, you know, this versus that, you know, I, I want, you know, I'm specialization, specialization in, in what you're doing. And if you just want to collect, you know, this armor, like, let's say, you know, the, the, the armor is the NFTs and the artwork is fantastic. So, if you just really like the artwork, you could just collect the armor and make a suit of armor with a cool ass weapon on a figure that just looks fucking awesome and you don't have to play the game at all. Yeah. Um, or you can, you know, play and, you know, maybe you're the person type of person who wants to have like a, a sick looking hammer that maybe isn't as, as great stats out of the out of the boxes, you know, this other thing. But if you work on it, you can make this hammer more you know, more valuable than that other thing that someone just opened. So um, you're not going to have that green you stumble upon that makes you throw away the thing you spent six months on. Yeah. 
Yeah, in, um, in w when I'm talking to other game designers and economy designers, uh, especially having worked in, in free-to-play, like this is normally purchase regret is a, is a problem. Like th there's a challenge that we're constantly trying to get you to spend new money and that almost always requires the invalidation of your previous stuff. Right. And so like Burning Crusade, you want people to buy the expansion and they need to play the expansion to get the best gear because all their previous gear is now lower tiered than that and that gets everybody to move onto the next expansion content. But and that's part of what I really, um, my hypothesis around Web3 and why I'm so excited about it as a designer is because I think that the um, ownership mechanism forces us to not do that, to never invalidate the previous money and time and investment players have spent. And because of the secondary revenue stream on, on sales, it'll allow us to make the money in a different way that's more respectful to our players and allow us to really focus on, on their long-term journey and not like, oh, well, I need them to buy this new thing. How do I get them to buy the new thing? I fill it with stuff more powerful than, than everything right. they've ever bought. And, and for sure, there's going to be equipment that is you know starter equipment that you get right off the bat that you're going to end up replacing. But that's why we have a whole crafting system where you can you know use that to generate the materials to make your other equipment better once you're done using it. It doesn't just go sit in a bank someplace and or you know get sold to a a vendor and yeah. It also allows that like as you're leveling yourself up, you can you can just sell it. You can like you don't have yeah. to just sit it in a bag and have it just be be dead there. You can go oh, in and yeah. sell your lower level stuff which like the same thing, you know, when you buy a bunch of magic cards is you know a lot of it is stuff that you end up not not wanting but like you know Hugh and I like I don't know whatever a couple of years ago he just like packaged up whole bulk sales of our magic cards and we're able to sell them which like to be able to do that in a digital experience is great too as opposed to like when I go through my Hearthstone decks and I'm like yeah that's just wasted money it it it, yeah. it fights like uh, the existential dread you might have before you make a purchase that a lot of time prevents me from making a purchase like. Why am I going to spend $15 in Princess Tale this week? I know I'm going to regret it when I look at my credit card bill, right? <laughs> so why bother? Um, let me let me take a step back for a second uh, because we've been talking a lot about Armored Kingdom without uh, stopping to describe it. So how, how would you describe Armored Kingdom uh, to somebody who hasn't heard about the project before? I would say it is a um, mythic fantasy with a whiff of sci-fi IP multi um, uh, multimedia sort of IP company mm -hmm. where we have comic books and animation and a TCG, all of which feed each other uh, that is empowered through Web3, but not um, not just a speculative Web3, Web3 product. So that, that's um, that's sort of how I describe it. Like when I'm talking to somebody who understands what Web3 is, if not, I have to talk about like, and then you get an NFT and it's you own it digitally. But we do want that experience to not even feel like that. Um, but th that's, what, that's what we see it as being. We um, Is the, the animation and the comics feed the game, the game feeds the animation and the comics, and all of this stuff wor works together sort of seamlessly because it's designed from the ground up that way. So even in terms of gameplay, these characters that you're going to meet in the comics, the way that they play, the way that they play, they're playing, you know, all of their sort of playing mechanisms 
come from story, so it'll feel intuitive to you. So when you go to play a certain kind of character, intuitively, you'll go, oh, I understand that this character would be more magical. I understand that this character would be more brute force. Whatever those kinds of the gameplays that it feel intuitively makes sense and that you can feel immersed in this world. And and we know on on the game side of things, obviously, World of Warcraft is a big inspiration. Um, uh, I don't know how far along you are with the with the design of the trading card game, but like, what are the other some of the other games that you look to for inspiration uh, for what the gameplay will be for Armored Kingdom? Honestly, Dungeons and Dragons is a mm-hmm. is a huge thing. One of the things we set out to to change. Um, there are a lot of Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, uh, top-down, tabletop card games where what you are emulating is just two people playing cards on a table. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't want to do that. Now, you know, our, we're not locked in on our visuals yet, but we definitely want it to be more immersive. I, my complaint with Magic the Gathering, and I played a lot of Magic the Gathering, and I think this is the reason that it doesn't work as a TV show or whatever, is when you're playing magic, you're you're not fighting. You're telling people to fight. Right. You know, you're putting out an ogre, and then the ogre is going to fight against this other mage. Um, and the, yeah, you have planeswalkers and stuff like that. But you're you're just you're, there's a there's a level of disconnect, and we wanted to get rid of that. We want the the players to feel like more like World of Warcraft or EverQuest or Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons, where it's like, I'm fighting this person. I'm trying to hit them with my sword, as opposed right. to I tell my soldier to try and hit him with a sword. Got it. So uh, so something probably more like uh, Slay the Spire. We talk about Slay the Spire all... We've played a lot of Slay the Spire. It's, that's, my, that's my drug of choice right now. Yeah, yeah. I had to... Uh, uh, after about 70 hours, I had to kick a Slay the Spire habit for a Sad while. Time. It's just it's it's the it's that game you can open up. What's that? Seventy hours is just a weekend for us. <laughs> I have Ascension ten on all four characters. Wow, wow, that's great. Try Inscription. Have you played Inscription? Uh, Inscription. I just bought it last night oh, for the Steam Deck. You're gonna so love it. it. You have Got Steam it. Deck. So slay the spire. Yeah, Steam Deck's fun. How'd you get it? I, uh, I pre-registered for it the day they opened up pre-registrations, and over a year later, I was privileged enough to be able to spend four hundred dollars. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my opportunity to spend four hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, I I know it's stupid because I have like a, an expensive gaming PC, but uh, it's really nice to lay down on the couch and play a AAA game right next to your face. Yeah. I love it. Stupidity is my my language. Come on, <laughs> I don't buy things that aren't stupid. It's a policy. Right. Um, anyway. How do these? <laughs> when I when it so okay so, uh, how do the various elements of this um, ecosystem play together? Like what what if anything is the intersection and interaction between game, comic, and um, show um, for Armored Kingdom? So now, the, so for the next few months, we're releasing a, a, a comic a week. And the comic, mm-hmm. the current comics that are, they've, they've already been written and they're, they're being animated or they're being um, uh, illustrated right now. Um, so the current comics are really backstory. It's really just understanding, mm-hmm. it's immersing in the world. We're getting people you know, used to and excited and immersed in the world. The characters that you meet in the comics, you will start seeing inside the game. The, the um, animation, which we have, the, we have the season one kind of 
animation is long. It takes it takes a long time. Yeah. Um, so we as we built, but as we're building out season one of the of the animation, we are making sure that those things tie into what we're planning on the game. So the great thing is because both of those things take a long time, we can develop those things together. Yeah. What I'm super excited about is um, comics don't take quite as long. So as we're we're up and running, as the game is up and running, and we want to do some narrative play that like more kind of immediately informs the game, we can do that in a comic book format um, and kind of help like make that even more exciting and more immersive. So that's an and oh, this is Alpha. We haven't talked about this yet. Ooh. Making a little um, a little little tabletop RPG situation Ooh. with this as well. So people can, can, can experience it in a few ways. But all of those things, they will all absolutely tie together because it's the same group of people on the creative top-down building it. That's great. I, um, oh, you you all have similar tabletop experiences oh, yeah. uh, uh, and love. What are some of the tabletop inspirations and any fun anecdotes about uh, famous people being just like us and playing tabletop RPGs or games as well? I want to jump in super quick just to say it's not a comic a week. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. Did I say that? I meant comic a month? Sorry. <laughs> comic a week. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Brian was just That's like. a lot of comics. <laughs> he, he was just about to evacuate his bowels. Like, <laughs> a comic a week. I am screwed. Yeah. 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 I know. I, I played D&D and Star Wars and GURPS and. GURPS. The wild card uh, game and Vampire the Masquerade for a yeah. hot minute. Um, mm -hmm. I played all those role-playing games. Uh, I actually made, when I was living, I didn't ever told you guys about this, but when I was living in Phoenix with my D&D group, we also made a board game called Slacker um, that was super fun that we never did anything with. We just spent a bunch of time and money and made the board game and it was awesome. And then I moved to LA. That was, <laughs> that was it. But yeah, a lot of time gaming, a lot, you know, I DM'd. When we were when Q and I were talking for the animated series and for the comic book character design and stuff, we we pull references and I'd be oh yeah you got to look up this kind of monster that kind of monster and he's like how do you know this I'm like oh yeah that's original monster manual or that's fiend folio like right. I have all these monsters memorized all these pictures you know from going back forever. That's great. Did yeah. you uh, guess that Vecna was coming to Stranger Things ahead of time? I'm, I'm surprised that they went Demi-Gorgon, Mind Flayer, Vecna. Because Demi-Gorgon is way up there. Vecna is about here, and, and, and Mind Flayer would be relatively low. And they've kind of screwed up the, the power leveling of, of that. Right. I will say a lot, a lot of writers play d and I think mm -hmm. I think it actually, like, it, you know, the, the people who... Like so much of writing is sitting around going, "What if?" and then right. like like then like letting your imagination run wild, and then yeah. having an editor that comes like your editor comes in and fixes that up. But so much of writing is what if, what if, what if, and these these sort of role playing games are a lot of like just imagination, storytelling, yeah. um, and and then there is the great sort of math of those games. So they really do have a tree and they have a math and so does an episode. So does an, particularly a season of television is a, really a math problem that you're solving as much as it is a story problem that you're solving. So they, they really tie into each other. Not as many actors, I, I don't know as many actors who play them. I mean, I know there's like a few groups that like are putting in popular um, Dungeons and Dragons teams and groups. That's where Mila draws the line. She right. does not play Dungeons and Dragons. She does not play... Um, 
Like she's like, oh no, I play pretend for my career, so I don't right. actually do yeah, it. Yeah, it's uh, not relaxing for me. What about like uh, Settlers of Catan or oh, uh, any of the first oh, name of our, wait wait the very first name of our company was Brick for Sheep. That's what we called it oh. before we called it Orchard Farm, <laughs> because all we played epic take multiple um, settlers and seafarers, combine the packs, the decks to, or the, the game together yeah. to make massive, full, I mean, we really played a lot. Milo once threw yeah. me out of her house over a Settlers Catan game. <laughs> yeah. We're not fucking around. Yeah, no, we don't fuck around with Settlers Catan. It is life with down Settlers Catan uh, in our house. Uh, and we just you... taught the kids, and our 10-year-old, who's the I youngest, see. is a shark. Mine are mine are six, four, and two, and the six and four year old have played Settlers Junior yeah. with yeah. the grandparents. And as a huge nerd, that was like a really exciting moment to watch a six year old girl teach her grandmother how to trade uh, swords for molasses. And in, in that one, that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, so I I know you you uh, um, recently did you announced the project at Consensus, yep. and you did a physical comic yep. giveaway and a minting on yep. the Near Protocol, right? How did how did the uh, uh, minting go? How did how did that experience compare to your gimmicks and yeah. Stoner Cat's experience? Well, I mean, it was it was um, we didn't want to limit it, so like that was the, like that was a little bit nicer. The um, we I think it went really well. We we minted about th- about thirty thousand. Um, mm-hmm. The physical was really fun. Brian was actually at consensus, like not getting COVID amazingly, um, but talking people through, we had a scan, you know, you could scan comic, go in, open up your wallet, get your mint. Um, the, the, we, pre, we were pre-filling for gas because we didn't want people to have to even deal with that sort of issue, which mm-hmm. meant we did have a couple of people going in and trying to mine 50 cents of gas at a time. So right. we had to, you know, kind of deal with a little of those those things that come up. We knew that those things would come up. We knew that the potential of somebody just putting in another email and another email and another email yeah. to try to, we knew that that was there. Um, we, we also were like 50 cents, really? Like, I'll give you $200 to just stop being annoying. Right. So, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, we have an incredible community um, developer, uh, Jess, who's, who's on our team, oh, who yeah. has been, so he's incredible. So he was, you know, in, in Discord, helping people as frustrations happen. So you know, obviously, I think I think it. Jess welcomed me on Discord, and then it's I, I I'm just a lurker. I yeah. lurk in like eighty projects, so that uh, yeah. But Jess is I was fantastic. Yeah, I was there day one, and it was nice to get a personalized welcome message. Oh, um, great. Um, so I mean, I think we had, we took some learnings. We're actually as we're yeah. we coming at the end of this month, we're going to do issue one. And mm-hmm. we are restructuring how we want that mint to look. So basically, like our whole goal is that by the time we're minting NFTs, that like anything that anybody pays for, right. that experience be just as smooth and slick as possible. So it's the great thing of doing free mints is it gives you a chance to try and iterate and and um, and make it better, make the experience better. Got it. What um what how how have been your uh, interactions with the community and the community response to the comic and and the artwork you've dropped so far and the narrative you've dropped so far? I think they're super excited about it. Um, there's a lot of there's a whole in our Discord. If you've been to the Discord, there's a whole fan art section where they're memeing up the stuff and and um, we had there was someone in the Discord. I've forgotten who it was, but someone you know we we have the, the, the first comic that came out and we have descriptions of the, of the, of the races. And one of the races in our game is called the Wari, but the Wari does not appear in the first comic. 
Mm-hmm. And there are people on there who have already declared themselves Wari. Right. Like, well, I identify with the Wari. And I'm like, you haven't even seen them yet. <laughs> like, they don't show up for a while. For all you know, it's a race of worm-worshipping cannibals. Is right. that who you are? That's who I am inside. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we actually have a bunch of the... the a lot of what we have coming up and planned is, you know, um, that we're excited that, that we'll start rolling out in the next like several weeks is includes things that that um, let people dig in a little bit deeper to the content to be and let people kind of co-create with us some of the content as well. So, you know, um, like scrolling video of like um, of fr- like frame by frame of, of the comic and, you know, with different kinds of voiceover, letting these guys kind of talk about what, talk through what they were thinking when they, you know, were working on the comic, letting people come in and voice over the comic if they want, you know, trying to give people fun experiences to be able to participate as we're building the game and as we're building the other, the other experiences that come along with it. And we, you know, we do want the Discord to grow organically. We want it to be real people coming in. We want it to grow slowly. I really believe deeply that I'd rather have 500 incredibly excited, motivated people who want to participate with us than 50,000 bots sitting in a Discord. We want right. real people in yeah. participating with us. Um, Hugh and Brian, as, as you work on this story uh, world, being professional storytellers and writers, uh, what are some of the games that you think do narrative or do storytelling best? Like, I know that the the, uh, there are countless examples of horrible stories in games. Like, what are ones that you've experienced that inspire you as writers? Or you say, like, I want to meet or exceed the bar set by X or Y. I think number one of all time is almost indisputably Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. You know, the old Bioware mm-hmm. RPG. Um, yep. uh, Horizon Zero Dawn recently. Um, um and then there's more wide open games that let you tell your own story, like Skyrim, that are really exciting as well. Um, yeah. You know, you don't always need to be led hand to hand through a narrative. Um, even something as crazy as Grand Theft Auto, you can play it your way. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so uh, my goal, you know, we've got two years of the story mapped out. Like th- we came into this with a story. I don't want to say in stone, but very well mapped out. And we want to let our gamers and our viewers and everybody put themselves into this world. It's a wonderful thing about Star Wars. Yes, it's a very linear, very clear story, the Skywalker saga, but then you've got this huge world you can open up and kids can either play as Darth Vader or they can play themselves in the Star Wars world. So uh, that was a long, circuitous way of saying that, of course, I love great storytelling in games, comics and all this stuff, we're sort of like going both avenues of creating a world for people and telling our story. The interesting thing is I think that we're not even getting into the story that I've created, even through the first five issues of the comic, we're just creating the world. Um, but the yeah. specific, like in the, if you see the issue number zero comic, it's narrated by the lead character of the franchise. But right now she's still a young girl and you don't even realize that she has the importance that she has. So um, yeah, I think we're, we're building a world first introducing the gamer, the player, whatever have you, into it, letting them carve out their own little niche of this world, and then we're going to start telling a story, and they can integrate themselves into it how they choose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, we're also laying out the game on multiple different paths at the same time, right? So we're going to have um, the PvP, sort of the combat system of the game, uh, which is heavily you know NFT-based, 
but then we also want a roguelike, a, a Slay the Spire-ish mm-hmm. uh, game that is not heavily NFT-based, where you're you're playing through the various kingdoms and you're fighting people that you've met in the comics and met in the animated series, but you're not playing as one of the... You're yourself, but you're you know fighting against this king or that hero or whatever. And then we also have an adventure series that, that's coming up where the, the idea there is that you're playing as the main characters from the show mm-hmm. doing things that you saw in the show, but also side quests and stuff as a way to ideally earn, you know, crafting materials or just a little, a, another avenue of play to earn that isn't, you know, if you are very into PVP, great. Play the PVP, play it nonstop, have fun. If you would rather, you know, play through sort of an adventure game. Awesome. We got that covered too. You know, it all kind of revolves around the, the central uh, combat mechanic, but lots of different ways to interface with the with the universe. And then I think also one last thing, we're super all super inspired by games like Inscription or even Slay the Spire, which mm-hmm. has a twist, you know, a story driven twist that sort of throws the gameplay on its on its ear or whatever. Mm-hmm. Inscription is all about that. And so we're looking at ways to do that, to let the narrative lead surprising gameplay uh, twists and turns. Very cool. Um, what what have been the reaction from your peers in the entertainment industry. I, I want to ask because I work in technology. I've done only games, only technology for 20 years. And I have people who listen to this podcast or know me uh, and know that I've shifted to Web3 and they're like, Ethan, you're a crazy person. Like you have lost your mind. And these are all technology people. So I'm just, I like, I, I'm just so curious what, what the reaction has been when when you've told other people in in this more traditional non-tech based media like oh yeah we've we we raised eight million dollars selling these pictures of cats or we're doing a transmedia uh game multi-game tabletop game comic but like we're on discord i assume a lot of your peers don't even know what discord is so like what what has been the reaction to uh, exploring kind of this frontier of, of entertainment? Well, there's there's two two well a couple things. First off, there's a lot of incoming after Stoner Cats, and they continue. Mm-hmm. By the way, there continues to be people are just waking up to like and it's been a year. Articles still come out about Stoner Cats about it sort of being a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, still get people coming in kind of with incoming on that front. And they all are like, that seems so easy. And you're like, that's, it's so deeply not easy. So cool, but let's talk through what like the real challenges are. Um, I think it falls into a couple buckets. One is let me duplicate what you've already done. And that's, that's not it. That's never, the duplicating is never going to be it. It's got to be iterating. Um, Or you're crazy. And I will say that we have a couple, our our kind of shout out to our traditional TV agent. Who's like, stop talking to me about this. (laughs) <laughs> i don't need, ever need to talk to you about this again and he's like right. he's not interested in this conversation at all right so it really just depends on the person's point of view i i try not to like beat any up anybody over the head of like this is the future and who right. knows if it's the future or not but um instead i want to make a product that feels like a consumer product and just show it to them prove it yeah. that this that this is the thing my That's my great. experience there's a friend that Hugh and I also went to college with who's very traditional media. He, he's currently editing his own TV series that he wrote and directed. And I tried to explain this project to him and he doesn't understand it at all. 
you know, I, I'm just like, okay, so, you know, it's this IP and it's, they're going to sell these NFTs. And he's like, but, but why? But, but who wants them and why? And I'm like, well, it's, you know, you use it for this, you use it for that. But, but why? It's just every, every time I try and explain, he just doesn't, right. doesn't, you know, there's just something that isn't connecting. Yeah. The, the surprising part to me, actually, my, my brother works for EA. He, mm -hmm. I don't know, does things there. Um, he, do you know where within he, EA he's I situated? do, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk because he's really like cagey right, about I'll, like... I'll ask you after just to see if I know on, him or yeah, no, exactly. no he, he fills all the loot boxes, right? <laughs> I... <laughs> no, he um, doesn't. Let's not talk about that. Next <laughs> subject. Next <laughs> subject. He, he, but he, bye Hugh. Um, but he also, I don't know where he's going. Um, but he also, like, when I try to talk to him, as a gamer, to me, it makes utter sense. Right. The, the, the like, the, being able to take, a, like, a, a, owning something digitally for real. Kids understand yeah. digital ownership. Like, watch them in Fortnite, buy skins and buy, you know, like, spend those dollars in there all day long. And they can't ever sell it. And they can't trade yeah. it. And they can't, like, they can't upgrade it. They can't do, like, or at least maybe they can. But they can't do a whole lot of other stuff with it. But in a real world, I can. Like, if I have a real collectible card game, I can actually do something with it. It takes that real world utility and actually improves upon it. The only way we want to do it is if it actually makes it better. And we do think it makes it better. I am surprised when gamers have all this kickback to it. I know they feel like it's a cash grab. And I understand, like, if I've already paid 80 bucks for a game, I don't want to pay another however much money in-game to do other to, to buy these NFTs. I understand that that thing, too. But if you're building it from ground up, I actually think it's a huge benefit and not, I, yeah. I, I don't get the kickback. I, I, I would tell you as, as someone who's been kind of on, on the, the experimental slash bleeding edge of, of monetization for a long time, I would tell you or give you the advice not to worry too much about what the core of game develop, game players are saying, because it's hard when you're one of them and you're like, reading IGN or reading Kotaku and they're like Diablo Immortal is ruining Diablo and we all hate it like you read it you read the press that's for the the core people yeah. who this hobby is their identity like it sounds like everyone on this call being a gamer is part of all of our core identities and then and they're like they've ruined Diablo it'll never be a success Blizzard is screwed up royally i'm never buying another blizzard product again and on and on and on and then a month later it comes out diablo immortal made 50 million dollars in a month right like the vocal the there's a vocal minority who are gamers like us who are very allergic and, and rightfully so to changing business models because whenever a new business model emerges there's a lot of abuse of it and it brings yeah. in new people and it's not necessarily for them but like and so those words can sting because you identify with the person speaking them, but they're not necessarily the actual, they, they, they're not speaking for the majority of all gamers, right? They really are. There's a couple, Diablo Immortal is so interesting right now, right? Like it came out, everybody's playing it, I'm playing it. You, you don't need to put money into it to enjoy it. That right. is absolutely true. The, all the video game journalists, one I used to be a very esteemed member, um, have taken this hard line against monetization in games in general. And yeah. then you've got this Twitch streamer who spends $25,000 and doesn't get the super rare legendary gem. But the yeah. truth is, excuse me, I'm just getting over COVID. Yeah, excuse me. You don't need that gem to enjoy the game. Right. You don't need the very, very best gear. 
And in fact, there was a great opinion piece on Kotaku a few, like a week ago or whatever, saying how much they were loving Diablo Immortal. Sorry, guys, love the game. And it was a couple of them, if I recall, speaking right. together. But there's a hardcore collection of gamers that won't be happy until they have the very, very best gear. Yeah. And those people are compulsive addicts, and there's almost nothing you can do to help them. You know, right. and by selling them something, you may be saving them thousands of hours of grinding. And in their head, that may be, you know, that may be a terrible thing. They walk down the street and see somebody wearing, you know, the spectral tiger, you know, whatever gear. But the truth of the matter is, maybe you're not healthy if you're putting in that much time. Maybe you don't need it that bad, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, as you know, Fortnite has no monetization. It's all... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, no power-based monetization. Right, exactly. It's, it's all, all cosmetic. Cosmetic, that's the yeah. word I'm looking for, sorry. And they make billions, okay. you know? Yeah. And most gamers are like, yeah, you're wearing the blah, 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 but people love it. So let them love it, you know? That's my theory. Let them love it. Right. I feel like this, the same issues that you have with, like, the, the you know, the, 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 the vocal loud minority, it's, it's also NFT Twitter is the same thing. Where right. just people are loud, they're angry, they're, they they don't want their paradigm to be shifted. They think of it this as a certain way. But like Web3, by the way, it's so early. We don't even know what everybody's going to really, I hate that, that like that. it's so early, like whatever. But it is, I don't think we've landed on what the real full use case that the world is going to right. actually adopt at this point. We're all experimenting. And, but, but I will, the learning that I had from Stoner Cats is I ran away from that, that feedback early and that was a mistake. And so the thing that I learned in watching the gimmicks is I was in Discord and I was listening and going, that's bullshit, that's bullshit, that's bullshit. That is a legitimate concern. And I need mm -hmm. to address that legitimate concern. Ooh, that's a problem. That's something I can improve on. And I'm going to improve on that. But like having to, wipe, have to really critically think and wipe away what is just noise, also know what my North Star is, but then to be able to actually incorporate good feedback, I think that's really an important lesson to not be afraid of all of the criticism and and like to all of us get thicker skins than we have because it's yeah. not easy to be criticized and the other the other thing with the whole grinding versus pay thing is how much is your time worth i am a grinder uh, because i don't have kids and right. i have a job where you know i'll have a show that's supposed to go and it'll be a show that's supposed to go for a year of me waiting for the show that's supposed to go and i can't do anything else and I'm just waiting, right. waiting and waiting. So anything to eat up hours of the day. I am in the wrong line of business. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, grind, 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 grind. But I totally get it. If you if you have a real job and you right. you make $100 an hour and, you know, you come home and you put the kids to bed or whatever and you sit down to play the game, you're going to play the game for two hours. Grinding for two hours, you earn, you know, 15 cents worth of content. Or yeah. you just spend ten dollars and buy stuff and you can get and start playing and it's you know a tenth of one hour of your time instead of you know grinding through the whole thing i totally get spending that money it makes perfect sense to me the truth also, matters people both options all the truth yeah, matters right. all video games are grinds the, what you want to do is find a game that's fun to grind you know going back to pac-man you know you're playing the same board over and over and over and over is it fun or is it not you know I'll tell you what, none of these games are more expensive than Batman. That was a quarter for, <laughs> you know, a 90-second experience if you were good, you know? So right. it's just a matter it's of enjoy, whether it's a fun experience. And you pay for fun experiences, you know, in my opinion. Um, so 
you know, I, you all have been very generous of your time, so I want to try and get to the two wrap-up questions, because uh, I think we could probably talk for another hour easily without missing a beat. Um, but uh, what do we have to look forward to next with Armored Kingdom? You've got the monthly comic drops, you've got the Discord community where you're encouraging your fans to co-create this world with you. Uh, what's What's next? What's on the roadmap? Um, we are working diligently on the game and, um, but that's, that's, that's months out. So like everybody chill, just come and play and have fun yeah. with us. Um, we will have a lot more in, um, fun, interactive community experiences for people to come in and like, and play with us. So in the immediate future, it's absolutely comic books. It's conversations with all of us. We are like in there talking. It is, um, we are going to. I, I uh, Jess will kill me if I say what's next. Um, <laughs> She's like, don't steal my alpha. That's, exa st that's exactly right. Um, Jess is working really hard on a community experience that people will want to be early in on. And I'm um, not going to say anything more than that, what that is, because he'll kill me. Um, and, uh, and then additionally, we're starting working on the animated series and we'll start dropping kind of hints on what that's going to look like and where that's going to be. Awesome. Um, and, and just a closing question is, you know, this audience is primarily experienced game developers. Yo, um, we're hiring. That's yeah, exactly. That was my question. Who are you looking for? Who are you hiring? If someone's like, I want to build this transmedia, uh, experience, uh, uh, what, what are you looking for? What are your needs right now? We're now we're kind of in deep with a couple of people, but we are still looking for, um, uh, um, a game producer, like somebody to come in and, and EP with us. So that, that, that will make sure that our, um, to be sort of our team in, in talking in kind of combining all of these things together and make sure our expectations are realistic to make sure our communication is clear so that we are talking the right language to everybody. So we are really looking for that person to come in and steer ship. We have, we're really looking at one really big high level hire right now got a lot of other pieces in place, got a lot of other people that we are bringing in within this next week and two. Um, but right this minute, there's that one key person that we are looking for. We would like somebody who has built games, who has a lot of deep interest in Web3, if not a lot of experience. We have a lot of experience, so we can kind of help on that. But, um, but who, who is, will come in at a very big executive managerial position to help us build this. Got it. Well, if you've been listening for the past hour and you're thinking, that's me, I'm that person, just uh, uh, hit me up on the Deconstructor Fund Slack or on LinkedIn, and I will happily forward you on to the Orchard Farm team and the Armored Kingdom team. All right, y'all, this was uh, so exciting for me. I, I, would, I would greedily take another hour. I, I hope you all come back in the future so we can talk even more about it. And uh, I think yeah. I'm going to spend the rest of the day watching Robot Chicken, probably. Enjoy. You should definitely come back when the game drops, for sure. Yeah. Well, and even before that, I mean, we're going to start doing some little, like, leaky stuff. We'll, like, let's have, we'll talk. We'll talk. Awesome. All right. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye, friends. Bye-bye.